I'm Rabbi Nicole Guzik. And I'm Rabbi Erez Sherman. And, and this, this is SinaiCast. Sinai Catch up with Sinai Temple's latest programs, speakers, exclusive content. Candid conversations and inspiring connections. Follow us now. Bringing Sinai wherever you go. suit and a tie because it's a very special uh, morning here that we are joined by an unbelievable panel by respectability begin i just want to share a little bit about respectability and why we're specifically doing this program this morning it is february for those who are in the east coast it might be cold for those on the west coast it's a bit warmer um and february in the united states is jewish disability awareness inclusion month it's a long word for saying we are all but Selim Elohim. We are all made in the image of God. I want to give a few thank yous before we begin introducing our esteemed panel. The first is to Matan Koch, a good friend of mine that I actually met when I was in rabbinical school at the Jewish Theological Seminary. Matan was living in New York. Uh, Matan is the Vice President for Workforce Leadership and Faith Programs at Respectabilities. If you're asking what exactly is respectability, I'm just going to read a brief piece of the mission <coughs> to understand what we're about to hear and witness this morning. Respectabilities deals with diverse, it is a diverse disability-led nonprofit mm -hmm. that works to create systemic change in how society views and values people with disabilities. It fights stigmas and advances opportunities so people with disabilities can fully participate in all aspects of the community. And so instead of me speaking about how important respectabilities is within not only the Jewish world, but with the entertainment world and really the world at large, it's really my honor to uh, introduce our guests this morning. We are joined also, uh, sorry, a big thank you to Jake Stimmel, who also has coordinated this effort um, and who is in charge of the Speakers Bureau. So if you are out there from a synagogue or a church or any other community and you're interested in uh, having people from respectability speak to your community, make sure you contact Jake Stimmel and he will get you the best and the brightest. So we are honored this morning to be joined by Erica Abbott, an esteemed poet. And we're gonna hear about her journey to the poetry world and how that inspires herself and others. And Aaron Wolf, a movie film uh, producer, and director, and we're also going to hear his journey as well, both in the film industry, but as importantly, their journey through the disabled world, and even more importantly, their journey into the abled world that really does not allow anyone to draw a distinction between those two communities. And so without further ado, we're gonna begin with Erica. Erica, it's good to see you. Thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you very much, Herman. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we are thrilled to have you within our community. Um, as we were chatting offline, I know you're familiar with Sinai Temple, grew up in the San Francisco Valley, spent some time am, in New yeah. York, and had to get back to the sunshine. So, uh, <laughs> Erica, let's begin with you, and maybe you can, for a few moments, just share about yourself and sure. leading up to how then you did connect with this unbelievable organization of respectability. Actually, I, um, I, my, you know, let me start this in English. I'm a little nervous. Um, so my former rabbi at, um, um, Valley Beth Shalom, uh, Rabbi Hoffman said, you know, there's a terrific group 
that advocates for the disabled. And I went, okay. <laughs> and so Rabbi Hoffman got me in touch with Matan Kach because he knew, I think he, I believe he'd gone to Matan's wedding. And so he made a shidach. So that was, that was great. Um, so like that. Beautiful. Yeah. And maybe you want to, uh, let's hear your story, Erica, and how you okay. uh, came to poetry. <laughs> um, I actually, um, I was a reader at like two and a half. And so I literally, um, because I was through, I loved the, the, the cadence and the meter of people like Shel Silverstein and, um, and Shel, uh, Shel Silverstein. I went, okay, I think this is something I can do. And so I went, I think for me, it became a question of because I was on medication for epilepsy, it was something where I couldn't be graded. And I went, okay. Erica, Erica, I believe you, you uh, prepared a speech. I, uh, I did. That. Thank you, Jake. Yeah. Great. <laughs> it's it's going to cover some of that. Perfect. Um, so let me start. Um, my, my name is Erica Abbott. I was an advocate before I even knew what that meant. I knew the names of Golda Meir and Menachem Begin before I knew the names of the president. I'm not sure how normal that is. That, then again, normal for me meant growing up with, with one of the first female rabbis in the mid-1970s and early 1980s. Okay, true confessions. I'm a little nervous. I haven't spoken to a congregation since my bat mitzvah. I didn't hold the Torah in my bat mitzvah service. Why? Because the rabbi told me that if I dropped the Torah, I'd bring 40 years of bad luck to the congregation. No pressure, though. I live with mild cerebral palsy, at which, we, which for me means I have a fist for a right hand and limp on my right leg. Jewish disability inclusion has always been hard for me to understand. Does it mean only, does it only refer to accessibility to the synagogue? Or does it mean more than one seat at the table if decisions are going to be made regarding congregants who happen to be disabled? Some days I feel like Moses, slow of speech and tongue, never eloquent. Other days, I'm Miriam leading the women out of the desert and still tripping over my own feet. One of the aspects that still needs work is respectability. It wasn't until I moved to California. I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey from 1971 to 1986 and never thought about accessibility because I could walk everywhere. It wasn't until I moved to California that accessibility became an issue. Just to get to the temple five minutes away, I had to have someone drive me. As the daughter of artists, it was as natural for me to go to a matinee as it was to attend high holiday services. 
Consequently, I needed to find alternative ways to, to celebrate my Judaism. Some days that meant listening to Barbara Streisand's version of Hatikva. Other days that meant reading Allen Ginsberg. For me, this journey melds tradition while still putting my life together. Furthermore, the performing arts is another way for me to celebrate my Jewish roots. About halfway through the film Fiddler on the Roof, Tevye and Golda bless their daughters by singing the Sabbath prayer. Now I'm a fiddler in my roof in my own way because I've got one foot in the able-bodied world, one foot in the disabled community. And for someone who's been fiddling on the roof for as long as I have, you'd think I'd at least have better balance. Furthermore, I'm an award-winning poet who's living with epilepsy. Epilepsy is my way of seeing through the good, the bad, and the ugly. A synagogue isn't a building. It's a hangout for us not to be alone. Unfortunately, over the past couple of years, we've felt more isolated because we haven't been able to gather together. Accessibility now means something different. Does going to the theater become a religious experience? Absolutely. Why? Because theater has its origins in prayer. Matchmaker, matchmaker from Fiddler on the Roof is just some of it, is just such an experience. And there are some of us that still sing it. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find, catch me a catch. For me, Stephen Sondheim has always been the ultimate example of intersectionality and art. Into the woods we go again, we have to every now and then. Into the woods, no telling when, be ready for the journey. Writing, for me, is a religious experience. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to do much writing over the past few years. There's a saying in Judaism, never put a stumbling block in front of a blind man. Okay, so what if my body is the stumbling block to me? Unfortunately, I haven't done much writing over the past few years. Um, why? Because epilepsy is a thief stealing my energy. I've recited the Hashki Benu more than a Don Alam. Still, it's been said that God can hear us anywhere. So if that's true, does that mean that our prayers can be heard in our living rooms or even in nature? The Baal Shem Tov would approve. As for the rest of the commentary, that hasn't been written yet. While you, while you ponder that, think about this. If someone can't fit into a box, is there a place for them? How does a Jewish woman who happens to be disabled find her place at the Bema? I suppose I'll have to go back into the woods and find Rabbi Hillel. Find Rabbi Hillel and ask him. Whew. I think Erica, I did that right. <laughs> Erica, you did that more than right. You've literally touched our hearts and our souls. Could, could, and, uh, could you actually could you actually see me connecting with you? I not only saw you connecting, but we felt that connection in, okay, a, good. in a deep, deep way. Um, um, I'm going to share a piece of Torah after, but first I want to introduce our next guest, um, Aaron Wolf, uh, movie producer and director. 
um, very well known for restoring tomorrow. We'll maybe share a little clip about that a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be restoring the prominent and prestigious Wilshire Boulevard Temple, which is a, a establishment here in Los Angeles and really of the Jewish world as well. So Aaron, um, if you can also share your story, uh, a little, actually a lot different than Erica's story. And I think the <laughs> point of respectability, it's not one angle that people come through the door, but it's so many different doors that we come to different angles. So Aaron, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, thank you, Rabbi Sherman. It's, it's great to be here. And one thing that Erica said that I really think hits home with everyone, with people who have different ways of coming about things and different ways that they have to look at the world because of how we learn or how what we've been branded as as an ability or a disability is about being in a box how a lot of she said it very well that a lot of people are put into boxes and once you're put into a box it's very hard to escape that box because you're almost branded as that type of person and in in what i'll be talking about and we'll be sharing a bit later we all have boxes and we can either stay in the box and be confined into that box that is a disability or a difference, or we can accept that we all have our different boxes. We all come about things differently. We all learn in different ways. We all go about work in different ways. We all have talents like Erica with her poetry. And, uh, and you can say, oh, she has disabilities or Aaron, I have disabilities. I have ADHD and dyslexia, invisible disabilities. Or we can say, what are our abilities? What do we do? What are we proud of that that we're great at? And my hope, and I'll get more into that in this talk, is is to squash those so that we can keep better understanding the rights that people with with disabilities have that should be the same as, as everyone. There should be no difference. There should be no one who is treated less than who has less opportunity than anyone else. And so, yes, I'm a, that was a just, Beautiful words, Erica. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. Of course. And uh, and I'm Aaron Wolf. I'm a actor director, and I did, I made a film called Restoring Tomorrow that Rabbi Sherman mentioned, which is about it was it came out right before the pandemic. It was in 2019, and it was about a it's about Wilshire Boulevard Temple, but it's also about communities in general communities as a whole and how we need them to come back together. We need to make sure that we come together to make community so we can go out and do good community with our greater community. What better place than a temple, than a religious institution, than a place that matters to us. And for me, I went away from my place that mattered, the Wilshire Boulevard Temple. I was in New York, I was at college uh, and doing film and acting and stuff. And I forgot about it. And then I came back and I realized, I think I'm a microcosm for so many people Mm -hmm. who leave and then come back to their place that matters and how much this matters to me and how much I need to keep it alive for myself, for me to be a better person, for me to learn to grow as a human and for me to go help the greater community at large. And that, and that became making a feature film, which I don't expect everyone to do because it's a lot of work, (laughs) but uh, I did that. I I went to, I was I went to New York University for the film and acting program, and it was around that time that I realized I had been terrified of just to to preface I had been terrified to 
to tell people about that I had disabilities, that I came about things differently. There were so many stigmas attached to them. There still are. And I was terrified to tell people. But as I was in New York and I was making films and I was really finding my place and seeing where I, where I flourish, that's when I thought, you know what? I'm going to start being open about this. I'm going to come out of the closet with my disabilities, with my differences and be open and tell people about them. Because to me, they're not disabilities. Yeah. They're simply, it's like any diverse diversity in our in our culture. They're just di new diverse ways of thinking, different diverse ways of thinking. They're abilities. You can't say disability without ability. Mm -hmm. And so I started, this is my cat. Uh, I have ADHD, so I got distracted because my cat just jumped on me. <laughs> uh, I, I, have not, I have not made it to the office yet today. So I, uh, so what, is, what does it mean to me? Well, there have been struggles in, in my life with regard to having disabilities and coming about things differently. How about here, I'll share a couple, a couple stories about that um, to show how I think it can be an advantage and a disadvantage as we try to fit into the norms of society because there is a norm in society and we are, as a people, supposed to, I, which I hate that term, but there are so many supposed tos that you're supposed to be this, you're supposed to be that. So one of the things you're supposed to do in our, in our society is get a driver's license. And I was, uh, I studied for the driver's test, I remember, and I did a lot of tests with the instructor and my dad to learn how to drive. And I went to the DMV and it was the big day. I'm going to the DMV and I'm going to get my driver's license. And this is going to be the best. And then I'm going to drive. Yes. So then I get to the DMV. I go to the, I get into the car with a somewhat curmudgeon driver's instructor. But he was ready to give me the test. And so we head out on the road. I'm doing different things that he says to do, the parallel parking and whatever, all the different things you're supposed to do. I stopped at the stop sign, yay. And then I get to where he says, and now you have to make a right turn. Mm -hmm. And I confidently made a left turn right <laughs> into traffic. <laughs> and he looked at me, the curmudgeon turned to, to extreme anger. <laughs> And he immediately said, we are going back to the DMV, you have failed, and that is it. And it was because oh, I, my whole life, while I could do, I could do some things really well, I could not get my left and right correct for the life of me. I could not do it. I see things backwards. I th see things differently. And they didn't talk about in the driver's test and with the DMV people that that yes, all right, we're gonna, we'll go a little slower because we wanna make sure you get this right or you, have, you should study a little extra for the left and right portion of this and there's new <laughs> ways to do it. Maybe, anyway, they didn't prep me at all and uh, I failed with flying colors. <laughs> and I think the driver's uh, teacher will never forget that day <laughs> when, when I almost killed both of us. That's but an we, amazing we survived. story. <laughs> story. Wow. So, What's that? No, it's an amazing story for so many reasons, not obviously based on how it fits in the life of those with disabilities. And I think something I think that's important to point out, right? Erica said, like, I 
I, I'm not sure if your right hand or your left hand. You said you, you have no left hand, right? No, I, 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 I don't have the dexterity in my right, right hand. In your and, right hand. Right. And, and, and by the way, Aaron, that I, I'm sorry for laughing, but no, please. In terms of spatial <laughs> relations, I have none. So when, when I don't give any directions, but because if I tell someone to go down Burbank and make a left, I'm almost positive they're going to go down Hazeltine and make a right. <laughs> Isn't that what Waze was made for? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so. Yes, but uh, no, but actually, yeah. your story right, yeah, is so right, important yeah. because, right, yeah. I mean, a difference between the physical, right? Erica speaks about the actual physical aspects right, yeah, that, you right, know, somebody yeah. can see a difference. Um, yeah. While Aaron, you speak, like, why would that driver know that you had, you know, these right. disabilities right. until right. something right. like that happens? You don't say, hey, by the way, when you say, right, I'm going to actually take a left hand, right? <laughs> yeah. so, and what you said before, like how you bring those out is as important as the actual disability themselves. Um, right. You know, you don't initially say, I don't initially say like, hi, I'm Erez and I'm not good at this, right? That's all, just not right. how, as you said, the norms in society. Right. Um, so when you go to NYU, you're in film and acting school, like how did, how did you start telling that story? Yeah, I started telling the story because I would tell people they, I guess it's societal approval, which shouldn't be the reason, but I was getting societal approval. I was at a, a school that's considered good and, and whatever that means in this day and age. I mean, I could do a different speech about that, but it's considered a good school and, and I, was, I was succeeding there. And I was making, I was acting in things where people laughed or I was directing things that people liked. And after school, I got hired to, mm -hmm. to do work. So I felt, well, if this is disabilities, right. then bring it because look at, I'm able to do things and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting approval by society. I also think it's totally wrong that it has to be that way. Right. And, the, and, and that's been, a mission of, of mine, and we might share it a bit later, is this I Am Able movement that I've started. IamAble.info is the site. And it's about everyone standing proud, saying that they are able in spite of all the challenges they have. Because as you'll see in, in a video, I don't know if you want to show it now or, or later, but the- Show a little later, yeah. So when you show it later, you'll see that there's, I won't spoil it, that there's, that we are, that we do all have abilities and we all have differences and we've all been, we've all, I believe, felt low at times because of things we're not good at. And it's about as a society and man, coming out of COVID and all that we're doing, it's about bringing communities back together and bringing people up because to focus on the things that we're not good at or the things that make us different and not coming together, which we're having a big problem with in this country, but to have to not come together and to not bring people up for the things that they do well, that they are good at is, uh, is a sin. And we need to, and as Jews, as Jews, we need to do that. That's uh, my grandfather uh, escaped Nazi Germany. Oh, yeah. And that was, uh, and came here and, and showed all of his abilities. I mean, he started the camps, he founded 50 in synagogues. He was at Wilshire for 50 years. He did all this stuff 
and uh, in spite of all of the, the hardships. So look at us blessed to not have those hardships and be able to bring people up and bring community together. Absolutely. So I'm gonna, we're gonna go a little technological on everybody here, because that's what we do in the uh, Zoom pandemic world. Um, Eric, I'm gonna show a little video that you have. And Please, it's, yeah. And it's called, What Do You Pray For? And after that, we're gonna maybe ask you uh, why you said what you said. So sure. enjoy this video, Eric. <laughs> My name is Benjamin Rossloff, and I am a filmmaker, editor, and storyteller, and I am living with autism. There are different types of prayers. Prayers that praise God, prayers that thank God, prayers that ask for forgiveness, and prayers that ask God for something. There are prayers that are memorized that we recite or sing to familiar melodies. Asking questions is how we learn about people's hopes and dreams and what kind of world they want to live in. This is Erica Abbott. She's an award-winning poet. And I want to thank you for letting me interview for today. It's really exciting. Do you pray? I do. I've sort of gotten out of the habit since all the temples are closed, but I do pray. Do you recite prayers that you have learned or memorized, or do you have personal prayers? A little bit of both. I pray for uh, peace. I pray for health. So how does praying make you feel? when it calms me is really um, after, oh, I was able to take that off my list. I think when I get sort of frustrated is when I can't remember the words because I have epilepsy, which means um, that even if I've prayed the day before, I won't necessarily remember the words because of, uh, of the assault on my brain from the seizures that I've had. So what do you think the difference is between a wish and a prayer? A wish is a dream your heart makes. And I think a prayer is really asking for either continued health or asking for peace. Do you think people with disabilities' prayers are different than prayers of non-disabled people? I do think when you're fighting for your life, as we all are when we're disabled, no matter what our disabilities are, that we're, we're thinking about, I don't want to say bigger things, but just more complicated things. What do you pray for? I certainly pray that I can see my family again. I pray for the continued health of uh, my family and myself. And at this point, I'm really praying for the government. Judaism encourages questions. It is how we learn, how we grow, and how we gain an understanding of ourselves and our relationship to God. <laughs> Erica. Yes. Unbelievable. Thank you. I think you just wrote every rabbi's sermon. On <laughs> I hope so, Rabbi. No, I know you did. And you mentioned a couple of prayers early on in our conversation. I one did, was, yeah. One was the Hashkivenu. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a reason why you love the Hashkivenu so much? Um, I think for me, it, it's, it's not that I love it so much, but having lived with epilepsy since I'm 19 months, you really do get into a, a place in your life where you're going, 
Okay, I need to survive the next five minutes. I need to survive the next day. And for me, it really became about, oh my God, I have another doctor's meeting. Oh my God, what are we going to do if this medication doesn't work? And so I think naturally, I just found my way more and more to the Hashki Benum. And for me, it was really just about Oh my, it, it, like in a chorus line, when they say, I hope I get it, I hope I get it, um, in the prologue, it was for me, I hope this medicine works. I hope this medicine works. Uh-huh. So I think it was really more that for me. Is there any um, favorite melody that you have for Hashkivenu? I know you, you know, I, the only thing that I've heard over the last number of years is really, I guess, the traditional. Um, it's not like you don't alone where you hear happy days or, you know, something yeah. like that. I think I've really only heard the, uh, the traditional version of yeah, the Hashi Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, actually, that's, that's our good friend, Craig Taubman. Uh, so, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know Craig well, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's funny yeah. that you call Craig Taubman the traditional shout out to Craig. No, Taubman. Well, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's not so much that Craig is traditional. It's that yeah. the synagogues that I was in uh, I was in a reconstructionist temple for 15 and a half years. And it. then I wound up at, um, Oh God, uh, Don Ariel with Moshe Rothblum. Ah, got it. And so he did sort of more of a traditional, you know, service. Yes. Beautiful. So yes. let's take that prayer topic to Aaron. I know, um, Aaron, I would say if Erica prays through words, you pray through visuals in terms of the prayers that you create. Um, so yes. maybe let's, uh, before you begin about restoring tomorrow, I'm going to share a little uh, trailer. If you haven't seen this, it's on Amazon Prime. I just checked it out a couple of weeks ago. It's awesome. So here's restoring tomorrow. <laughs> cold water, I thought to myself, we're dying at the roots here. This campus is dying. I used to go all the time to the temple with my family, and it seemed to be so relevant to them and to my grandparents. Something's different now. I don't know if it's a generational thing or what. I don't know if I get it. No one has a sanctuary like that. But look around. Pieces of the dome are falling. Literally 10-pound pieces of plaster falling down. They were lethal. The physical plant was an embarrassment. What happened physically with the temple was a powerful metaphor. It was falling apart. And that's where I have, in this process, felt guilty because I took it for granted. A place like the temple is trying to connect us with things of real meaning. The Warner Brothers were willing to support whatever he was going to do, and that included building this temple. You know, we don't think of ourselves as ancestors because we're alive. And I think the essence of being a good human being is to be a good ancestor while you're alive. When he told me how much money he had to raise, I remember thinking, this is close to an impossible task. Diana Ross had it right. Reach out and touch somebody. <laughs> the riots shook the whole city. The city was split right down Wilshire Boulevard. There are fewer and fewer places in the world 
where people really feel that anyone outside of their immediate family gives a damn about them. This has to be one of those places, or we failed. with your grandfather but um you bring communities together through your work and i think that's what respectability does as well maybe just take us through like that's a big idea to have but to actually put that into action like how do you do it <laughs> uh a great team of people because it uh, i had an idea to make this film actually a real quick aside i even i made a film at with uh with rabbi wolpe at sinai too um called the walk which I think is on DirecTV now, but I'm not 100% sure who bought it. So anyway, I, I've, when I, I have ideas for films or I get ideas from reading something or seeing something, in the case with, with Wolpe, I read a thing he wrote and then wanted to collaborate with him. With, in the case of this film, and that was a narrative film that I was in as well. This is a documentary um, that I'm in as well. But I hadn't, I, it started with Rabbi with Rabbi Leader asking me, he knew I'm a filmmaker, if I would make a few clips to share with the community about Wilshire Boulevard Temple. And it the this renovation stuff was starting and they were doing all this work. And and I didn't really know or to be honest, care that much. But he asked me to, he's no, known me my whole life. He asked me to do this. Uh, I said, sure. I'm happy to help. So I did. And I started to go down this path. I started to interview more and more people, meet more and more people, learn stories about my family, learn stories about my grandparents, look, just see the, the world and the community in such a different space. And about six months into doing some of those clips, I thought, this is a feature film, I believe. And I think I'm a microcosm experiencing something that a lot of people can and should experience in order to come back to their place that matters. And then I dove, I dove in and start, I must've interviewed a hundred people or more for this film and traveled everywhere and kept learning and seeing and doing and put this film together. And what's beautiful about it for me, selfishly is as it came together and all the people who worked on it, I mean, there must be at least a hundred people in the credits is that I've since gotten to go to places as far as New Zealand to show the film. And not just at temples, not just at churches, at community centers, at cultural centers in New Zealand, at the big town center there that they have for the government. And to talk about what I went through, just to share my experience, show this film and show how I believe so many communities could do what I experienced. And I was so blessed to have my prayer was answered, if you will, as you said, in that it was answered for me to be able to reconnect to a place that mattered to me. And I think everyone 
should have that. And after I've shown this and given talks about it, so many people have come up to me afterwards and said, you know where I'm going to go tomorrow? I'm going to go talk to this person that I haven't talked to in 30 years. I'm wow. going to go to this place that matters to me that I haven't gone to in 20 years. I'm going to, they're going to go do. And, uh, and I like, I'm a doer, not a, not just a talker, even though right now all I'm doing is talking. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so I love when people are going to go do, they're going to go be active and be a part of their community again. I love that. Um, Eric, I'm just looking yeah. at a couple of the poems that you wrote, and one of yeah. them is from 2015. I don't know if you remember it, but it's called The Crippled Poet. Are you familiar yes, with that? Yes, I do remember that, yeah. And I yeah. just want to read a line, and maybe you can talk about sure. why you wrote this and how you sure. wrote that. Okay. It says, I weave a beauteous, painful illustration of the coarse populace. If I remove my facade, before long, I'll see the real world that has permeated my reverence. I guess my question to you is, uh, what is the real world in the um, world that you live in? I, I think for me, it becomes very complicated because just even going back to having one foot in the disabled world and having one foot in the able-bodied world, it really does become about, okay, I know I have these disabilities, but when you when you're a kid and you need to get from one side of the playground to the other it really becomes about okay do i have to have a passport or do i need 25 cents and the only way i can explain it is that when you get older it's still the same concept just more complicated because by then everybody's been quote, socialized, not to ask certain things, not to, not to, uh, not to act in certain ways. And so I really do feel like, unfortunately, there are times when I do have to put a mask on and say, yeah, everything's fine, or whatever the case is. And so I think it gets very sort of, like I said, complicated. Uh -huh, absolutely. Um, just to even survive in the real world. And I think for me, my world is my family, um, my two nephews and my niece, um, and really just making sure that whatever I do, I, I don't do in... Um, in ha in halves in right. in, in halves because when I do something, I go in all the way. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's a that's a lesson for all of us. And then, um, you know, you spoke about the world that is around you, which is really your your family and your community. Yeah, um, is throughout your journey. This is, I know, maybe a challenging question, but has there been a blessing to the world and disability that you have been given? Actually, yeah, I've been uh, I've been blessed to be a Tanta three times, mm -hmm. and so I've been able to um, bring the 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 gift of disability, if you will, um, to my my nephews and my niece. And because I was able to write an award-winning poetry book and I made it a family project, they actually got to 
I said to the kids, do you want to do, do you want to draw? Um, they became illustrators for my poetry book. And so they're actually listed as illustrators in wow. my book. Wow. Yeah, so that's been very exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. And then, uh, Aaron, I know you spoke about sort of the blessing of the disability was actually led to more work. Um, <laughs> but what about during the pandemic when, you know, the movie screen has changed, when actually religion and I call religion and entertainment sort of like met in a very high level? Um, what do you have you seen in your world that you allowed this blessing of the skill, the art that you have? to maybe bring more spirituality, bring more uh, inclusiveness to others? What have you seen over the last couple of years? Well, the last couple of years have done a number, <laughs> to say uh -huh. the least. Uh, for in terms of with, with being with like ADHD, for example, and having to be in a lockdown, it is yeah. uh, very not conducive to what, to the way my brain works. I am, uh, I'm one who I hyper-focus. Like when I get into something, I want to go do like with a film or a project, I want to go do and everything got stopped. But mm -hmm. what I did during the pandemic again is I gravitated toward bringing people together. And mm -hmm. I did that in the form of a, I did 10 episodes of a talk show and ended up getting a lot of people to watch. And it was, uh, it was called The Together Show. And we did. We had everyone from W.E.B. Du Bois' grandson to Alec wow. Baldwin on it, wow. and to the actor Alec Baldwin. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and the idea of it was to have a long form conversation about bringing people together at a time when everyone is apart. So, and it was interactive. We had questions. It was like what we're doing now, just really about how can we bring people together when. Everyone is stuck. It doesn't matter what your status and how can we learn from people who I find who I found interesting. So that was one thing that that I did during the pandemic. And what the conclusion of it was is no matter your background, because I had uh, a right wing religious uh, evangelical pastor on the show, and then I had, as I said, someone like W. B. Du Bois' grandson, and. It was all about trying to find commonality and trying to build a community in spite of our many, many differences. And I think coming out of that, that lesson is more important than ever, whether we're making poetry, creating films, creating TV, it's about how do we keep bringing community together? How do we keep bringing people together from all walks of life? And then one aside too, the whole industry of the film industry totally changed. And I came out with a, a narrative film recently called Tar and about the La Brea Tar Pits. And it, uh, it's also called La Brea in some places, the movie. And, you know, releasing a film during a pandemic was in theaters was, was uh, challenging. And it, it definitely pushed the limits of some of my, uh, my, I guess, the mental health version of me, yeah. which is another invisible disability because right. it's, it was beyond uh, stressful and challenging. So mm -hmm. there's, and, and that's where, I guess to conclude, I just think going forward, we all need to understand that everyone's been through a journey. Everyone's been through something mm -hmm. yeah. difficult during these last few years. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to contribute in my ways. I've also, failed myself in some ways. And I think we've all been there. So 
I hope we can keep coming together. So let's talk about respectability for a moment in terms of how that has also been a platform, Um, not just a show, right? Here's Erica who has a disability and is a poet. Here's Aaron who has a disability and is a movie maker. It's actually, no, here's Erica, the human being. Here's Aaron, the human being. They're very talented human beings who Mm -hmm. uh, bring their disability with them to, for, for strength. Um, with, uh, with no respectability, and I have been a rabbi with respectability and without respectability, and I, and I can tell you the organization has made quite the difference. Even during the High Holy Days, we, when respectability sends an email saying, right, you must have captions on your Shabbat and High Holiday services <laughs> that will tune in, right? That is an amazing, amazing message and a reminder. Yeah. Um, what do we have to do next? not just respectability, but within our Jewish communities, let's start there. With our Jewish communities, we're speaking to the Sinai Temple community here. What is our job next to make sure that we can continue this, uh, not just discussion, but actions to be more inclusive with the disability community? Uh, Erica, do you wanna start? What can we do at Sinai Temple? Um, I think for, for me, it's really about understanding that we are more than our disabilities. We are more than um, the universal sign of the disability. And so you can't tell by looking at me that I have epilepsy. You can't tell by looking at me that I have um, a learning disability. And so I think it's important to understand that, especially in the world we live in, that Disability is the only group where you can join at any point. You can be 19 months, you can be five, you can be 25, you can be 55. And I think the other part of it is to recognize that it really is about, I don't want to be your your mitzvah project. I really want to be Uh, sitting on the board. I want to be there when you're making decisions about congregants with people who who happen to be disabled. And I think that part of the, whether you call it society or the Jewish world or whatever it is, really has to change. Because you are talking about, uh, really, it becomes about a larger conversation. And I think it's hard to somewhat answer that in, you know, sort of, sort of succinctly. That is so important. Um, So many of us, right. We feel good when we help the other, right. It's not just about feeling good to help the other. It's actually, how is the other part of us and not even the other, right. Not, not labeling the other as the other. Yeah. I, I think, that, that line right there is so important for both our young and our old to hear, right? Yeah. Don't make me a mitzvah project, Eric. I, I highly value that statement. Thank you. I appreciate it. Stick with me in our community for a very long time. Um, and Aaron, what's next for the Jewish community? Yeah, the, the mitzvah project line is, is dead on because we aren't mitzvah projects. And you just said, What's, what should we do at the Sinai community? It's just that. You're a community. We all are part of communities. And 
when we're in that community, when we're sitting at a temple, when we're involved in any kind of activity where we're with a lot of people, there are people next to you, there are friends, there are family, it might be yourself who has a invisible disability that like Erica said, we can't see. And the more that we are learning from just this conversation or in general and know that we might not be seeing it, but it exists and we can be open and understanding of the people around us so that then once you're open and understanding of the people around us, then voices can be lifted, then people can be heard, then everyone can be a part of, not feel that they're different from, not feel that they're a mitzvah project. And that's what we need to do in our communities is to, to squash the stigmas and lift all our voices up so that we understand that the person right next to us very likely has some sort of difference that they might be struggling with or they've overcome or it's just part of them. And that isn't something that we should run away from. It's something that we should be proud to talk about. And if we are the one who has it, we should be proud to say, yeah, by the way, I, I have ADHD. I have a learning disability. I have epilepsy. I have whatever. Yeah, that's part of me. I also crush at poems. I'm, a, I'm an award-winning poet. I'm a filmmaker. Like It's just part of the lexicon of who we are as people mm -hmm. within a community. And that's what it should be. And so that's actually what I want to conclude on the word of Torah from last week's Torah portion from the book of Truma. We say that we should uh, create a sanctuary for us to dwell in. And it goes back to, I think, what Aaron, you were saying about boxes, putting each other in different boxes. But actually, God basically tells us in that Parsha, make space and the challenge and the uh, work for us to do is to not just find the spaces, but in fact, to create those spaces. You keep mentioning the microcosm, right? That Erica and Aaron are simply individuals that represent a lot of people that are not on this screen right now. And so our job uh, going forward, not just February is Disability Awareness Month. That's I, February is Disability Awareness Month. Reminds me, Erica, of your line of let's make this a mitzvah project, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't end in February 28th. No, it absolutely doesn't. But it's every single day. Well, and especially for those of us who are part of the community, that since we live these lives, there's no way it ends on February 29th. Exactly. So I want to uh, thank both Aaron Wolf, Erica Abbott, um, Jake Stimmel, Matan Koch, for uh, not just connecting us, but allowing us to um, hear these stories, allowing us to participate in the work that has been done, but more importantly, uh, needs to be done as well. If you are not familiar, make sure you check out Respectability. Bring Erica, Aaron, and so many um, like-minded people to your communities to see how your, your communities can truly create those sanctuaries that are sorely needed in this wonderful, wonderful world. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great day. Thank you.